2: Life is to be nice. lived. Life is mm-hmm. to be experienced. So I try to keep people alive by saying, you know, when I look at Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. I was hurt. Mm-hmm. I was like, he made me, his show feel, feel so good when I think about Kurt Corbain, when I think about Robin Williams.
3: Jay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Jay. Our yes. lives
2: are made to be lit. So to all the dudes out there, but to every, even to the little kids, therapy is the most gangster, powerful, dope <laughs> thing that you can do for yourself.
3: So so I'm amped up Jason, I don't about you because we got- a oh, This we is got
4: crazy. We got a legend in the house, an icon. Uh, welcome to this moment. and
2: uh, I'm loving this listeners. moment right now.
4: <laughs> <laughs> all you listeners out there, you're in for a treat because this is a very special episode. Today, it's our deep pleasure and honor to introduce and have on the show Daryl McDaniels, a.k.a. DMC from the iconic rap group, Run DMC. Welcome, Daryl.
2: Thank you, glad to be in a place to be with you guys.
4: Yeah, man, we're happy to have you, man. Give us a little Hollis backdrop, Queens. Hollis, Queens,
2: yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Hollis, Queens is a lower suburban middle-class neighborhood, tree-lined blocks. The majority of the community was a, a, a loving collective of people that cared for each other, meaning, if you lived on my block, your mother and father was my mother and father, right, <laughs> and, exactly. and vice mm-hmm. versa. It was it a was very close-knit community. It was like, when you left the block, you would have to go up to a certain corner on the avenue to have what was, you know, you know growing up in the 60s, 70s, early 80s, you know, to have those 42nd Street Mm-hmm. Harlem back in the day elements. I mean Harlem's yeah. beautiful now. It's been a mm-hmm. renaissance, but <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, the whole black exploitation era, mm-hmm. drug dealers, prostitution, gangs, death, destruction, d- and despair, you would have to leave your block and walk up, like we said on the Adidas record, 205th Street. That's weird. So
4: when you were walking in Hollis back in the days, were you passing, uh, you know, future legends were like...
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kurt, uh, um, Davey DMX. Yeah. LL Cool J. It was like 10, Hello. you know, because we were yeah, like yeah. older than L. <laughs> and not knowing, they, you know, it was like, You know, I probably passed Q Tip and and Fife Dog. I probably saw Salt and Pepper working in Sears, but didn't Mm -hmm. care. You know, we were all there. I'm thinking
4: that, you know, when when LL dropped radio, he was only 17. And I'm thinking like his swag and his style, he was 16. His swag and his style was heavily inspired by Run DMC. Yes.
2: Oh, yeah. He studied us.
4: Did y'all take him under your wing or how was that relationship? Yeah, yeah. It
2: was an under the wing thing because it was basically, you know, it was like, yo, Russell and Rick signed this new kid, L.L. Mm-hmm. from Farmers. L.L. Mm-hmm. lived about five minutes from me, because L.L. lived on, we, we from Hollis, five minutes was L.L. on Farmers, and then five minutes from L.L. on Farmers was a trip called Quest on Linden. So mm. it was all in, in the same neighborhood. So, you know, we could have been mad and said, yo, Russell, don't bring this kid around. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. killing us, they <laughs> <so> you spying <laughs> on us. But it was more, it was a more of a, it was a more, it was very competitive, but it was a, it was more of a sharing, giving attitude. Wouldn't worry about somebody um, stealing your shine because by putting them in the room with you, it made you elevate your game.
3: How did you, Jay, and run to me? Because oh, that's you guys question. have your own thing.
2: You know, you're yeah, all yeah. different. Yeah, right, right, right. So, like I said, you know, Hollis was these these tree line blocks and stuff like that. Mothers and fathers, hardworking people, and 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 the crime and all of that was centered on those street corners. So I lived on 197th Street. Hollis, Hollis Avenue was basically 191st Street to 205th Street. That's mm-hmm. that's all out of it. It's from Jamaica yeah. Avenue to Francis Lewis Boulevard. So I lived on a quiet end. I lived on 197th. <laughs> Down mm-hmm. on my end, it was cool, you know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> uh, block parties and fun and street like it was it was safe down on my hand. Jam, I said, Jay, he lived on 203rd Street. He lived right in the middle of everything. Yeah. And then Run lived on 205th Street, but he lived in the back streets. Mm-hmm.
1: So if you know how okay. neighborhoods mm-hmm. are, in the
2: back streets is more quiet than what's on the avenue. Sure. So me and Run, we met in, in Catholic school in eighth grade. Me and Run wow. went to the same we went to the same school for eight years, but we didn't meet till eighth grade. What happened was we had a basketball room, Catholic school. And because if you went to Catholic school, after school, you would have to go all the way home, change into your play clothes, your regular clothes, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. so
2: you can fit in. Because you can't go up on the avenue in your school nope. uniform because then it's over. <laughs> they taking your money. They taking your shoes. They taking your book bag. So you have to go <laughs> all the way home and put on your play clothes so you could fit in. So mm-hmm. um, long story short, we had a basketball rim in the schoolyard um, at St. Pascal Baylon that we would play after school because we couldn't go to the to neighborhood park. But in eighth grade, this kid named David McEachern, I'll never forget his name. He was like six feet tall and he jumped on a rim and he broke it. Ooh, what? Yeah, all right. yeah, we in the schoolyard like... Yo, we ruined now because we can't play ball after school. But my mother and father was always cool. They put a rim in the backyard. Mm -hmm. So usually what would happen, the kids after school would come to my backyard. It'd be like 20 kids in my backyard. But one particular day, it was just Joseph by himself who came over. So Mm -hmm. we played basketball one-on-one. And when I was little, if no parents was home, he wasn't allowed to have company. That was the rule. Mm -hmm. If we ain't home, no company. But this day was just Joe. (laughs) It was 3.30. My mother and father didn't get home till 4. So I said, come on in to get the drink of water. So when he came in, he saw me and my brother's uh, DJ setup. And he was Mm -hmm. like, yo, do you do that? I said, nah, nah, I don't do that. Because that was my little secret. But long story short, Mm -hmm. he said, yo, my brother is Russell Rush. He's the one that throw all the parties in the neighborhood. He manages Curtis Flow and Jimmy Spice and yes. Genie. He always does shows with Grandmaster Flash, Africa, Bambaataa, The cr- Crash, Crew, Treacherous Three. So when he said that, I was like, what? Oh my God. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, I could DJ a little bit. So um, what we would do after school, now that we knew we had something else in common about basketball, we would come play basketball in the backyard for about a half hour. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the hour, Before my mother and father came home, we would go in the basement and DJ. Wow. So that's how me and Run started to hang together. And Hmm. and we was doing that. And he would always bring me live tapes of the performances that he would do in the summer. Mm -hmm. He couldn't do it during the school year. But in the summertime, he would tour with Curtis Blow. Run was actually called the son of Curtis Blow at 12 years old. He was already famous. Yeah, So he would bring all of these live performances of him performing with like Crash Cooper, his Bob and all of that.
4: He must've been hood famous, right?
2: Right, before this thing hit, it <laughs> Run already was known in, he in was the good. circle. Yeah, he was the son of yeah. Curtis Blow, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. he was doing it, for me, it was just a hobby. You know what I'm saying? I'm mm-hmm. a school kid. I, I wasn't into the, the, the whole hip hop thing. I just liked it because I was a creative kid. I just like writing rhymes and, and speaking mm-hmm. on that, mm-hmm. I just wrote rhymes for me. I would DJ. I was pretending to be Grandmaster Flash. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I'm writing Mm -hmm. my rhymes. I'm pretending to be Melly Mel. I'm pretending to be Curtis Flo. I'm I'm pretending to be Busy D and all of these guys. Mm -hmm. Run was really doing it. He Saw that I had some good rhymes. He just looked at me and he said, yo, D, you know what? Whenever my brother lets me make a record, I'm putting you in my group. Um, I graduated from Rice High School. I was a class of 82. And I didn't know what I was going to do with myself, but I was a smart kid, so I was able to send my resume out and I get accepted to St. John's University.
4: I remember that from uh, the, the Down with the King lyric. I went to John Jay
2: University. <laughs> right, that's Key Rock yeah. recreated outside of the yeah, large yeah, yeah. yeah, So yeah, yeah. Um, I get the acceptance letter before I even ran and told my parents, I ran in the basement. And I write a rhyme. I'm DMC in the place to be. I'm going to St. John's University. Yeah, since kindergarten, I acquired the knowledge. Yeah, acquired the I knowledge. Twelfth grade, I went straight to college. <laughs> Take right? to so, college. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I wrote that rhyme. That was a that was in um June of '82. In August of '82, this is crazy. The phone rings and it's Joe, and he's like, "Yo, D." Remember four years ago when I said, if my brother lets me make a record, I'm putting you in my group. I was like, Yeah, well, grab your round book, dude. we going to the studio to make a record. And we went in the studio and we made it like that in Sucker MC. Like that. Oh,
3: Ooh. wow.
4: Remember that? Okay, so you had your lyrics and Run had his. So we
2: combined together. You four. just put it together. It's like that. But for yeah. Sucker MCs, if, if you notice on Sucker MCs, I rhyme at the end of the record once. Mm. I originally wasn't on Circumcised. That was going to be Joe's record by himself. After he did did, It's Like That, Joe was like, yo, Dean, you're going to be on all my records now. Because Russell, (laughs) Russell, his brother, was only going to let me do It's Like That.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have the name run cassette? No, no, not yet. What no, were you not, called then? then? Not oh, yet. And then, and Jam Master
4: J still wasn't in the picture at this point.
2: Yeah, right. We didn't wow. need him yet. Right, because there's only two people on the cover. Right, right. We just went to make a record. Because remember, back in the days, it wasn't videos. It was no, everything was singles. It was no albums yet. I was originally supposed to be on the record with Run for like that. But if you remember back in the days, it was the A side, and the B side. Yes. No singles, yeah. Singles always yeah. had two songs on. So Run mm-hmm. had this whole record called "Sucker Seeds" by itself. But when he saw that, well, when Ru- when he showed Russell that I could perform, he was like, oh, Russell, man, D got to get on this record. Russell was like, nah, nah, nah. So Joe said, here's what we're going to do. Well, Russell need the Ruby, D. I'm going to send you in the booth. You just go in there and put a rhyme on the record. <laughs> That's a
3: good friend, man. A Yeah, style. yeah so man. Like, That's
2: it. You know, I was like, yo, what am I going to say? So he said, yo, I don't care what you say. Just yeah. say your newest rhyme. Yeah. So my newest rhyme was about me going to St. John's University. Wow. So at and the I- end of the second record, he was like, so DMC, and if you're ready, the people rocking steady. You drive a big cars, get your gas from getting That's how DMC. And if I came with the suck MCs, Rob that, that's the Ooh. thing that made Russell say, yo, y'all guys could be a group. And Russell yeah, came yeah, up yeah. with the name Run DMC. Because he says it, it really was a play on the words run the MC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because
3: mm-hmm.
2: it was about run, run the, run yeah. the MC. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. the initials of my name was DMC. So he said, I'm gonna just call the group Run DMC. Now it sounds good now. Yeah, well,
1: yeah, yeah, but then, then it was weird, we right?
2: hated yeah. It? Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> so yeah. I, I have a question about avid
3: attitude and pivoting, because when I go back and look at original, early, early hip hop, the yep. clothing is very futuristic. It's yep. glitter, it's leather, but it's different. Right. But right. with Run DMC, it becomes leather jackets, it becomes Kangol hats, or Different types Adidas of Adidas suits. Yeah, in the Adidas. Tangos, Where did that? Who was, the guy? Glasses. was that guy? Were those Queens guys? Or who was those guys? No, no, no,
2: no. It was. It was. Remember, Marcus, when you said you first came to New York City, yeah, And yeah. You saw the break. You saw the breakdancers in the yeah. streets, and you just mm-hmm. identified. That's who it was for us. Mm. But you, you, you got to give the first rappers credit. The the first rappers. The first. Superstars, the first celebrities in the hip hop culture, you gotta understand something about them. They had nobody to look up to because they were the first. Right, gotcha. So their right. idols, when they when they got into show business, Parliament Funkadelic, the Rolling Stones, and the Punk Rockers were their idols. So just because mm-hmm. it was a show business when they took the stage, that was their so-called attire. The style. Mm,
1: The style,
2: right? Because that was like, that's Mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do when you get in show business. You you put on wardrobe. That was their wardrobe. For us, when we was coming in, our... Inspirations to dress for the graffiti writers, the DJs, the breakdancers, oh, yeah. wow. and everybody that was in the streets. And what did the breakdancers wear? Adidas suits. They wore yeah. tracksuits. Yeah, yeah, Even yeah, if it was Pumas yeah. or Adidas, <coughs> they wore tracksuits and they wore Pumas, mm-hmm. Adidas, or whatever, whatever. So we said, when we take the stage, we don't want to not be able to identify with the audience.
1: Because yes. mm-hmm. the thing,
2: when Rundy MC did that, automatically our celebrity became part of you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? When yeah. Yeah, yeah. Flashing them when they because it was show business. Like before Rappers Delight, if you want to see Melly Mel them, they had on sheepskins, they had on mm-hmm. boomers, they had on they had pictures of them <laughs> mm-hmm. with sheepskins yeah. and bubble coats and all. But when they got in show business, it became a thing of wardrobe. When mm-hmm. we came mm-hmm. into show business, we didn't want wardrobe. We wanted to do what was already being done. Wow. And that's why we did it. That's why I had such a a profound effect on the whole style. I think the, the, the reason why we're the pioneers of it because we was the first to do it. We told Russell. Yeah. We ain't yeah, way yeah, none yeah. of that stuff. I don't want to look like Paul. I don't yeah, want to yeah, look yeah. like George. Y'all I even want, had the poses like the break of the breakdance. It's break yes. yeah. like the breakdance joint, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. the breakdances.
4: Tell me, how, how did dance. it feel when when that record dropped, when when It's Like That and uh, Sucker MCs, when that record came out? like Did y'all blow up overnight, or how, how did that go?
2: The record came out, and it was like a hit in the tri-state area. Yes. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And then it started to trickle down south. Okay. It started going down to, like, Georgia, and it started going down to, like, Florida, and then slowly but surely it started to spread across the nation. You know, it went into Detroit. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It went into the Midwest, and it, it just got this button. And it made it all the way to the West Coast. So no. when Suck M.C.'s dropped, that record played, Suck M.C.'s and it's like that, played in every neighborhood across the nation to the point where I hated my own record. Wow. <laughs> every, everywhere I went, I was like, why do they gotta keep playing my record? Wow. You know, Run was happy. Because yeah, yeah. you gotta understand, yeah, yeah. with Run, he saw hip hop growing in his living room. Mm-hmm. Before he grew rappers up with it. was, right, he grew up with it so for him, it was like, yo, I'm, I'm becoming, Stevie Wonder. I'm going to be Michael Jeff. For him, yeah. it, it, the, the, the destination or the vision of it was actually working. For me, yeah. I was like, stop playing me so much and play some more <laughs> Treacherous street. <laughs> <laughs>
3: when did you say to yourself, I mean, because you come from a traditional home in that sense of like going to Catholic school. When did you yeah. invite your parents to your show? When was it like, okay, mom and dad can yep.
2: come out." It's funny, they never came to a show. Oh, really? Yeah, they ne- no, it's funny. I was just talking to my therapist about that. It's so weird. We never <clears> talked <throat> about it. And I think this stems from me as kind of my fault because his was funny. When I went to the studio to make it like that and suck in seeds,
4: I never told my parents where I went. So they, you had this name, coast-to-coast hit that was blowing up every neighborhood and they didn't know about it. Yeah,
2: so before I had to go do the first show, our first show was in North Carolina. You know, the record comes yeah. out, it's killing it. So Russell calls because you know why I didn't? For me, I thought, this is what I thought hip hop was. You make the record, you just get it on Mr. Magic's show. Yep. Get it on exactly. Mr. Magic and Red Alert. Yeah. If that happens, yeah. That's oh, there's no more to that. I didn't know. You know, what I'm <laughs> saying? They played my record yeah. Friday and Saturday night. This is done for me. Yeah. I, didn't, I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking touring and all of that. So the record blows up, and now it's playing. You remember, and at the time, hip-hop was only Friday and Saturday nights, and sure. maybe mm-hmm. some underground stations had it Wednesday night at one in the morning, but that, that was it. So Run calls again. It was Run always calling me, telling me, yo, the record's national now. this that. Mm-hmm. So he calls, yo, Russell said he just got a call. Oh, we got a show in North Carolina. So he was like, pack your bag, D. We're going on the road. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. And I hung up the phone and I was like, yo, I never told my mother and father. <laughs> this, this is like November now. You know what I'm saying? December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Eight months have passed since we made the record. So now, um, we, the show, I think the show is like the next June or something like that. So I gotta go downstairs and say, yo, mom, um, remember that day in August, I came home one in the morning, cause I didn't get home till one in the morning for the studio. Well, I really wasn't at Joe's house. What you talking about? <laughs> well, do you know Grandmaster Flash <laughs> and Curtis Blow and all of that? The thing that we used to do in the basement with your records and you used to get mad at me about scratching, what are you
1: doing with my records?
2: I say, now nah, we're putting those on records. So I, I basically was like, You know the record, The Message? She was like, yeah, I have one of those. Me and Run have one of those. We have a group called Run DMC and this and that. And um, Run said, Mm -hmm. oh, we got a couple of shows. Russell is starting to get booked for shows. So imagine me hitting my mother with all this for the first time. Mm -hmm. So she Mm -hmm. tried to comprehend it. My father though, I loved him. Um, rest in peace, he was enthusiastic about it. He was like, yeah, I know about DJ Red Alert. I know Mr. Magic. <laughs> he knew. He worked at the bus depot. Yeah, so he's listening to the radio. The young people yeah. that was working with he worked nights. He worked at 12 to eight shifts. So at nighttime, he's sitting there with all the young dudes, they're playing this hip hop thing, oh so God. he knew about it. So my mother said, no. She said, you're not going nowhere. She said, you got to focus on school, this and that, boom, Mm -hmm. bang, boom, bang. No, it was a wrap. My father, he was trying to fight for me. If the boy likes doing this, my father thing was, as long as the kid is happy, he's good. But she was like, no, you're going to be, you know, the typical lawyer, doctor, whatever. So I remember I went upstairs in my room and I was like, yo, Joe going to kill me (laughs) because I'm messing things up. You know what I'm saying? But then I got an idea. I went downstairs and I said, Ma, check it out. Because at that time, this was a lot of money, too. Straight out of high school. Yeah. At that time, we was getting like 1500 a show.
4: Wow. 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 So wow, I went downstairs.
2: Yes. Yeah. So I said, Ma, if I have eight or nine shows this summer, I said, here's the deal. Whatever money I make on the road, I will use to pay my own tuition.
1: Wow. Because
2: they were working, busting yeah. their <laughs> ass So. My mom, okay. My mom was like, okay, that's the deal. Okay. G- okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You're making sense now. You're so making- now I'm <laughs> making sense. So now I go to Joe. Yeah. yeah, Joe, it's a rap. I'm all good to go. So my now God. Russell says, who's going to be your DJ? And Ron goes, okay. huh? Russell what? says, who's going to be your DJ? And Ron was like, yeah, <laughs> Davey D's going to be my DJ. Because if you listen to Suck MCs, um, Joe says, Dave cut the record down to the bone. Dave yeah. was Curtis Blow's DJ. I mm. said, you can't use Davey D, that's Curtis Bow DJ. So Joe said, I got it. Jam Master Jay, Jason Buzell, he was the best DJ in our neighborhood.
1: Block, he was the yeah, dude okay. that
2: did the block parties and the mm. park parties. So run with yeah. him. Yo, Jay, me and Dale McDaniels from 197th Street. Because I, <laughs> I really wasn't known. Joe was known for being a kid. You know the guy down on down 197th Street to wear the glasses? Jay was like, yeah. Well, me and Dale McDaniels, we got this record. We need a DJ. and, and um." Ron was like, yo, Jay, you're gonna get paid. So Jay was like, hold up, you're gonna pay me to do what I do in the park for oh free. i mean, And that was the day we were <laughs> in. That, <laughs> that, I, that was the day we were. Wow, and that that's how you were formed. Yep. Can I say
3: the funniest part about this is that you guys are the nicest neighborhood boys. Yeah. And this is between mom and stuff. But yeah. on the record, you are hard, you hard course. like that. Yeah, 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 with, with the leather attitude. jackets
2: and the poses. Yeah, because, yeah, because it was, it, it was all, it, you know, it was all about attitude. When you yeah. look back at Cool Mo D and Grandmaster Caz mm. and Melly Mel and Double Trouble, and then when you look back at the girls like Lisa Lee and Sha Rock, like yeah. Yeah. they were legendary in taking us away from the death, darkness, and despair that we were living in. Mm-hmm. You know, hip hop was just a, a, a hybrid of disco. In the, in the beginning of hip hop, we was like, we looked at Studio 54 and was like, man, everything is good in there, but yeah. we were too young, we couldn't get in Studio 54, so we took the disco to the street. We noticed that these people in the disco, they just go in there and forget about their cares, so we wanted to bring that to the streets, the and, it, and, and it was those mm-hmm. early, it was the, 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 the real pioneers of hip hops. you know, the cool hurts and stuff like that, they gave us Nirvana, they gave us Evan. For the one yeah, or yeah, two yeah. hours that the park was there, so we wanted to yeah. continue down the record. Mm-hmm, when disco, mm-hmm. when disco died, hip hop, hip hop, yeah. and punk took over those clubs. Mm-hmm. So if you listen to rappers alike, it was more like the, um, like the Frankie Crocker's. Yeah, yep. sure. And the the, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. radio DJ, I'm the DJ man. This is mm-hmm. Frankie Crocker. So rap was hip hop, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the hibbity hop. What had happened was. Sugar Hill Records put out Rappers Delight, Light, so it, even if you look at the Rappers the Light first video it's in a disco, so this is what this is what we wanted to translate. Like you had Rappers the Light which was cool. The only thing I really I really liked about Rappers the Light at the time was the Superman rhyme that rhyme was more youthful and. That rhyme mm-hmm. was written by Grandmaster Caz. Forgot his rap,
4: his rhyme book in the studio, and, right?
2: and he gave it to Big Bang Hank. And Big Bang Hank went and got a deal and didn't give him his royalties. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. what had happened to me was this: you had there was two types of hip hop, and Mo yeah. D talked about this too. There was that disco DJ rapping man. I'ma yep. pop your hands and stomp your feet, get down to the sound. But Grandmaster Flash and them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. While, while, while the Pete DJ Jones and Eddie Cheevers was doing that, and they love what I mean. Um, 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 DJ Hollywood's I'm DJ yes. Hollywood. I'm here to give it to you good. Those were older dudes. <laughs> Grandmaster Flash and you know, Rappers the Light came out, and then a couple of weeks or like a month later, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five put out Super Rapping. Yeah. And this record was like, it was a party night. Everybody was breaking, the house was screaming, and the bass was shaking, and it won't be long let everybody knowing that Flash is on the P-Box. Yeah. So they started talking about breakdancing, doing graffiti, we're going to school. So it started to talk about the yeah, things yeah, yeah. That, that we were doing. So me running Jay was like, yo, if we're going to make records, we're doing that. Even if he was a white kid in Colorado, even if he was an Asian kid in in, in Japan, even if he was a German kid in Germany, when we brought the attitude that the breakers and the Mm -hmm. graffiti, it was very artistic. You know what I'm saying? That's the thing that allowed rap to spread like the Walking Dead disease. Hold
0: up.
3: when you talk about this period which is basically from 79 to like 82 or something like that yeah like 85
2: but, 85
3: yeah the innocence in your voice and the innocence and i'm just watching this right yep. when did hip-hop and being run dmc became a job and it wasn't as fun anymore
2: oh after after raising hell Mm-hmm. After, after my adidas and walk this way.
4: When y'all blew up, like big, big blew up. Right. After mm-hmm. my
2: adidas, because now we were the first non athletic entity to get a major endorsement from an apparel company. Yeah. Look, Anybody? I don't even play basketball, and I got a sneaker like Clyde, and I got a sneaker like Jabbar. With that comes a different energy that you mm. shouldn't focus on. Once walk this way. When Steven Tyler took that mic stand and knocked <clears> down the wall that was separating us, that didn't just happen in a video. People say that happened in the world. It brought all of this other stuff. But at that uh-huh. time, what had happened was, prior to that, it was just do it, put it out. We enjoy it. Faith, the world enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But then you get to the point where, okay, you're getting hit records, you're getting money, mm-hmm. you're on the charts, you're very mm-hmm. successful. People who don't do what you do, but can reap off the results, Mm -hmm. whether consciously or subconsciously, they start telling you, you need to have a hit record. Mm -hmm. You need to be on the chart. You don't need to do none of that. It was at a time where you start worrying about, I don't want to lose the success. So you start paying attention to stuff over there instead of paying attention to what's here, So mm-hmm. that's gonna happen mm-hmm. if you, 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 you try to live up to the expectation. Instead of just being Run DMC, mm-hmm. we start yeah. trying to be Run DMC.
3: Who mentors you at that point? Because you're kids. End of the day, they, right. you can't practice for what's gonna happen, yeah. drop a song. So who drives you? <laughs>
2: My mentor was Jack Daniels and Jim B. I mean, When did alcohol start
4: uh, becoming like a, a, a way to turn off and, and like escape, I guess?
2: It starts when you let people control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, and I'm not talking about, it's not when people's telling you what to do. They do things and you go along with it, even if you have this feeling about <clears throat> it. Maybe I shouldn't do it this way, I should do it that way. To not cause trouble, mm-hmm. to, to have people—you don't want to be mm-hmm. the reason why there's trouble or something like that. Mm-hmm. So to not be a troublemaker, you. All right, let me go smoke, so I ain't got it there. Let me go drink, whatever mm-hmm. it is, substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Let me, you know, the girls mm-hmm. who go sleep with people instead of saying, "Hold up, no, 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 we can do this," but it's going to be a, a, a we're going to we're going to um, cooperate here. In order for me to do that, I need to do this. But it just came for me. It was like, I don't want Running J mad at me, or I don't want Russell mad at me. You know what I'm saying? But there's times where you got to say, "Yo, Russell, no, that might be good for Rakim to do, or that might be good for Flavor Chuck to do. I can't do that." Yeah. But if you don't do that, what happens? All of those things, and it's just feelings. It's good to let it out now and get have the argument then instead of holding it in because then you self destruct. But it mm-hmm. got to the point where people would always ask me, "When did you know?" Something amazing and unusual was happening. Prior to Raising Hell, we was just dudes making the hip hop. Having fun. Yeah. Right, right. After Raising Hell, I started realizing just a whole business. Now I understand what Mick Jagger goes through. Now I understand what Michael Jack, those those pressures, Mm -hmm. you know, industry pressures, this and that. But industry pressures should never change who you are. But I just chose to do it, do it in a way where thinking it was easy, let me just drink my, and, my problems yeah. away, but that doesn't happen.
4: I mean, how was that journey from when you started drinking, when you started like escaping with using substances to when you came out of it?
2: Yeah, and, um, it, was, it was a long, now I look back on it, it was a long journey. I was, mm. I was drinking a case of old English 40s a day. Wow. By myself, a case. Like I Damn. put a refrigerator in the back of my truck because you gotta say, my whole day was run DMC. Things didn't slow down for us until like 1989.
4: So from 82 to 89, it was like boom.
2: Yes. Yeah. I wish I would've known about meditation and yoga back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but therapy. I was, I was, and- yeah, and stuff like that. But I was yeah. self-medicating and it got to the point where the first thing that happened was I got acute pancreatitis Wow. I was drinking so much. So I'm in a hospital for almost two months, I couldn't take nothing orally. I had to take everything intravenously, wow. but fortunately, mm-hmm. my liver wasn't my liver wasn't wrecked and my pancreas wasn't scarred. When I got discharged, the doctor said, "Son, you have two choices in life: you could drink and die, or not drink and live." So mm-hmm. I got it on my mind. I ain't drinking nothing because wow. it, mm-hmm. it, it's cold turkey, but it really isn't cold turkey. Now some people can't do it, but it was cold turkey for me because I I don't want to die. At that time, mm-hmm. I didn't want to die. That was 1990. So let's fast forward to 93. Now remember, in the nineties, mm-hmm. hip-hop had changed.
3: Changed a lot. Yeah. Right. Whole right
2: lot. Absolutely. And it got dynamic. You know, you you could mm-hmm. I could say it was the best period because now you got um Cool Rap, Rock Him, PE, Cypress Hill, NWA, ISO. De La Soul. La, right. Yeah. All of that. It just exploded. So from the 90s to 93, we was respected. You know what I'm saying? We, but we wasn't participating. So Pete Rock,
1: no he Pete produces
2: Rock. a song called Down With The King for us. Mm-hmm. My that? favorite Run DMC oh, song. We remember Down it. With The Man, King for oh, years. Come it. on, check it. <laughs> so Down With The King does for Run DMC, what people say walk this way did for Aerosmith. It brought us back. Down With mm-hmm. The King was our walk this way. It brought mm-hmm. us back. Down With The King. Now, we're, yeah, we're yeah. back on the road. Now, you got to imagine, in the 80s, we was getting the 80s money. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Selling out the garden now in the 90s because the, the whole industry exploded. Now we back now. We still are OGs but we back in. Now we getting this 90s payday. We back on MTV. Remember the Down with the King video? They see probably one of the best mm-hmm. videos ever. Everybody yeah. showed up in that. We, we touring now. We're opening for Naughty. We're opening for ZZ Top. We're opening mm-hmm. for Tribe Called Quest. We doing mm-hmm. everything. Right when that <coughs> happened, right when it was my. It was the rebirth of Rundy MC. Was the Renaissance something in me? Said I don't want to live no more. Wow. Now I didn't know what it was. So you got to understand. I'm already. I'm already dealing with the pancreas thing. Yeah. I'm trying not to take no drinks and nothing, and it's working. Well, right at, as soon as ninety three comes, we've been, Pete Rock hates when I say it, but Pete Rock, you saved Rundy C's career. Wow. He said no. I Contributed. No, you saved it. Oh, wow. So. Mm-hmm. soon as that happened, we back on the road, big paydays touring again, something let me say, I don't want to live anymore, I don't want to live. And I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in this rut. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making it through, I'm doing the tours and stuff like that. I'm there, but I'm not there. So right. that was from like 93 to 97, four years of feeling miserable.
0: Mm-hmm. And everybody's
2: mm-hmm. looking at me like, how can you be miserable <clears> when you're <throat> down with the king is killing? run DMC first to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover of Rolling Stone, first with the Sneaky Deals first. Everything that hip hop is doing now, you, Jay and Run did it. Happened you mm-hmm. be depressed, mm-hmm. but I didn't know. So in 97, it gets to the point where I couldn't live with this feeling. We just avoided it. And I even sat there mm-hmm. and tried to figure out what it was. Run DMC, my mother and father, Hollis, Queens, New York. I thought about my life. It was like, something's not right. I'm very mm-hmm. uncomfortable having to go through this again. But I didn't know there was a missing piece of my identity. So in 97, I said, I'm gonna kill myself. I don't want to live no more. Because I can understand people that say, there's nothing wrong with somebody saying they feel like killing themselves because that's how they feel. What's been Mm -hmm. wrong since this world has been in existence is how we react to that. As soon as somebody says, I want to kill myself, they go, "Um, don't feel that way. You shouldn't do it or why you want to do that. If you tell me <coughs> I'm hungry, I can't say, don't feel hungry, don't eat. Yeah. If you feel hungry, no, if you're right. tired. Yeah. So it's the same thing, it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. So for me, I didn't know that I could. I didn't know you should mm-hmm. talk to somebody. I didn't know that you should go get help. So I would just, I don't want to live like this. I felt alone. I'm the only person feeling like this on earth. Did you
4: talk to Ron and, and, and Jay about this?
2: No, what happened was this. This is funny too. What happened was this. We were still touring during this time. So since I thought I was the only one in the world, and I know Run Jay didn't feel like this, so my managers, so during that hotel I went to Kingtime, this is what would happen. When we would go on tour, I would ask my manager, uh, what hotel y'all staying at? He would go, we're staying at the Hilton, and I would go to the Marriott. Okay. So now okay. I'm alone, I'm isolating myself. Yeah. That pushes mm-hmm. you further into the darkness. If they went mm-hmm. to the Marriott, I would go to the Hilton. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that, I'm, I don't want to be around them. They don't want, you know, it's that whole thing, they won't understand this and that. So I didn't know mm-hmm. it would have been better to open up. So it got to the point where I'm gonna kill myself now, because I can't live in this feeling anymore. But then I go, oh, before I die though, I want the world to know Daryl, because they know this DMC guy, they know what Red DMC did, yeah. whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I want to leave my, 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 you know, when I leave the, the note, the suicide note, I want to say, yo, what's up world? You know me as Daryl McDaniels, DMC from the groundbreaking rap group Run DMC. Give the whole Run DMC history. First of all, go gold, first of all, platinum. But I wanted to tell the world. But I'm really just Daryl McDaniels mm-hmm. from Hollis, mm-hmm. Queens, New York. No different from any other boy and girl, boy and girl in the world. And I was born mm-hmm. May 31st, 1964. Mm-hmm. And when I got to that point about my identity, I was like, oh, I know my birthday but I don't know no details about it. So check this out. Just Mm -hmm. to make it more interesting for the reader, I wanted to write a book and say, this is who DMC really is. I -hmm. call my mother up and I'm saying, mom, I'm writing a book. I want to know three things about the day I was born. How much did I weigh? She told me. What time I was born, she told me. What hospital, she told me. I love you son, I love you too, mom, hung up the phone. Mm -hmm. An hour later, she calls back with my father on the phone. Hey son, what's happening? Hi, son, it's me and your father. We have something else to tell you. Now, you got to understand, I'm suffering from alcoholism and pancreatitis. I'm going through a deep depression. I'm thinking about killing myself. We just want to let you know there's something else we think you should know. I'm like, okay, what is it? Well, you was a month old when we brought you home and you're adopted, but we love you. Bye.
3: Bye. uh, Drop the mic.
4: What what did that do to you at that point when they tell you that and you're going through all the things?
2: Well, I don't know what it did. Completely destroyed my existence. Because think about my whole career on the mic. Mm-hmm. Everything that I knew about myself at the time is what the world knew. But all my rhymes was son of Bifred, brother yes. of Al, Banner's my mother, and runs my pal. It's McDaniel's, not McDonald's. These rhymes yes. are Darrell's those burgers are Ronald's. I ran down my family tree, my mother, my father, my brother, and me. Christmas time in Hollis, Queens, Mom's cooking chicken. For me, it was always about family.
1: Yeah. You always so have to
2: be hit with something to tell you that. Do- there's another beginning. There's a whole other chapter to your life. So remember, mm-hmm. I'm called turkey pancreatitis. What did it do to me? Back to drinking. Wow. So yeah. my wife was telling me, motherfucker, she said this. She said, Motherfucker, you are trying to kill yourself. And the mm-hmm. reason why you're doing this now is because you can't deal with the fact that you just yeah. found out that you was adopted. But I didn't yeah. know where to go. So I went back to the thing that I shouldn't do. Cause it mm-hmm. The void, the not knowing, was hurting, but then imagine finding out was hurting.
3: Can I can I ask you what was Daryl? Your actually first name because I'm adopted as well, so we share mm-hmm. that. And yes. my real name is Kasahun Sigai, mm-hmm. and I'm always jealous of of Jason because he has his artist name Timbuktu, <laughs> so he can go between those personalities. Right. Do we know Daryl? Do you know your birth name? And have you? Thought yeah,
2: it? my, 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 my. When I, found, I found my birth mother, which was. True. Wow. I grew, yeah, I grew up in Queens. She was in Staten Island, but uh, my mother and father, when they adopted me, they did keep my original name. Yeah, so Daryl was, was cool. Was the name? Yeah, okay. yeah, my, yeah. Okay. And my last name was Lovelace. Nice. So when I found that, All name. Right. Wow. Everybody was like, "Your mom's a porn star." <laughs> Remember Linda Lovelace? <Lugres? laughs> so now I can't get around the that porn star That would have changed the name jokes.
4: of the Run DMC group, right? Too, Everybody you know? said, "Because <laughs> I mean? of my name,
2: Daryl McDaniels. Yeah, would have changed the whole mm-hmm. dynamic. It would. It would have changed wow. the whole dynamic. Because imagine if my mother and father would have told me, like kids now, they get told early. You know what I'm saying? It's not yeah. to be ashamed of. Nothing. Nah, they didn't know what to tell me. They wanted to love me. They They thought I would be offended by knowing my truth, but it would have changed the name. It would have changed the whole dynamic because I would have started rhyming early. I'm an orphan. This is like it would have changed the whole dynamic. (laughs) So I look at it like like I grew up loving superheroes, and um, it was like, dude, you were so attracted to um, Peter Parker, Iron Man, and Superman. Most superheroes are adopted. Wow, they come from somewhere else to, and and they gotta go to this. Play. Superman had to come here to be Superman. Spider Man lost his parents, he was yeah. raised by Aunt May. Batman lost his right. parents, he was raised by Alfred. Right. Superman right. came from us. So it, it's crazy that as a little kid who didn't know, I was attracted to the comic books. Then yeah. I was put into a, a, a performing art where they say, you know, Method Man is Johnny Blade. Yeah. So uh-huh. look at the exact same things that I was attracted to was in the hip hop, dual identity.
4: Becoming someone else. Becoming
2: someone else. So when I look at that, even though I had to go that way, I look at the DMC, King of Rock thing, it's the process that I had to go to, to prepare me what I was really put here to do. You know what I'm saying? So now, me having, and me being a survivor, what happened after that, the bad thing about finding out I was adopted was the way that it went down, but it had to go that way. But then when I found out that about me, it forced me to go to rehab. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. Rehab introduced me to therapy, where now I'm in a place to talk about everything that i felt through the of C years I didn't talk about. I, it.
3: Have, I have so many adopted questions. I'm just going to run this down quickly. Okay. So did you meet, you met your mom. Did you ever meet your father?
2: No, um, a year after I found my birth mother on my birthday, she calls me and says, I have a present for you. <coughs> So I go meet up with her, and um, she gives me an envelope with a picture of my father. Mm-hmm. So he's wow. somewhere in Staten Island also. Yeah. I got to get mentally and spiritually right before I go see that chapter, because everything going, is going so good with my birth mother right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I got to take a deep breath and then, you know, go find him. And she said this to me. She said, you probably have a million... My father, she said, you probably got other brothers and sisters about me. Because she when when I found her, she went and told him. Mm-hmm. So he was, like, I don't care. So it's one of those things. So yeah. when I mm-hmm. go there, it's not about rejection. I'm not trying here to force you to do anything. I just want to see you so I can see where I come from.
3: I met my birth father in my twenties. Wow. In the back in Africa. And my birth mother had passed when we All were right. children. But wow. I remember pulling up to that village when I'm coming to see my father. Yeah, And I knew right away it was him. It was the weirdest thing. I was nervous. Really? I was sweating my palms. And I'm in Ethiopia. Right. And I'm going back. And I, and I saw him pulling up into the village.
1: Right.
3: I knew right away it was him. And I had to connect with him. We didn't speak the same language because I didn't speak right. Marik. But we were connected. And <coughs> it was a good 10-year run. And Jason knows it was a good 10-year run where I had both my mother that raised me in Sweden and my birth father was alive. Right, me too. They both died in the 90s, uh, you know, they they died 20 years ago. But I loved that period, That I had them both.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it it was crazy. Um, I met my birth mother on Thanksgiving. The next Thanksgiving, I spent Thanksgiving with my birth mother and my adopted mother the same mm, bro. wow yeah yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know what I'm saying it was wow.
4: crazy yeah how was that for your uh, for your adopted I mean for you know the mother that you grew up with how how did she you know how did she deal with that
2: that's a great question when i found out i look back at my childhood and every time i was i, I mean i had the best parents ever that's why mm-hmm. i rhymed about them, mm-hmm. yep. the, ever
4: i could kind of tell from the stories that you were telling when you were a kid too you know yeah i
2: had to it was it was it, Run always said, yo, D, it's Christmas time in your house every day. <laughs> he would always say that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my mother and yeah. father, my mother was a nurse, my father was a boiler man for transit, mm-hmm. and they worked and gave me and my brother every Every school I went to, me, their adopted child was paid for. Like, they worked mm-hmm. to send me to the,
1: yeah,
2: um, the, mm-hmm. the best schools and stuff like that. But when the revelation came out, this is real true, it was always phenomenal around my family, but then when, when I found out I was adopted, I look back now, there was always a heaviness there. Mm-hmm. That wasn't mm-hmm. negative. When, when, when they told me that, and I started going back around my parents, and they both passed away just like <gasps> four or five years ago. When I started going back around there, I noticed there was something not in the air anymore. They kept me so busy and I was doing so good, I couldn't focus on, hey, so it wasn't until that down with the King moment where I felt, yo, there's a presence here, mm-hmm. but I can't put my finger on it. When they told me that, when I went around them, the spirits yeah. felt freer. And what, what I mm-hmm. it wasn't negative, but what I mean by that was it was a load off of them. They finally told
4: me. Yeah. The secret was out.
2: Yeah. They were so, you know, I looked at my mother and father from kindergarten to eighth grade. When I graduated elementary school and went to high school. I could see my mother and father saying, do you think we should tell him now? And they yeah. go, yeah. no, he's doing mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. You know, they were yeah. worried about me for sure. psycho and rebellious. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. with, um, from ninth grade to 12th grade, I graduated college. I think they, w- they probably would have told me, but then I come home talking about-
4: and Going on tour. Yeah. yeah,
2: like it was just yeah. so much goodness around me. They were worried about how I would receive this information. People would always tell me, yo, DMC, run DMC music got me, and everybody has one. Mm-hmm. That song got me through some of my hardest yeah. times. I mm-hmm. never experienced mm-hmm. that until I heard the Sarah McLaughlin Angel song. And that was mm-hmm. the only thing that felt right to me. Yeah. Um, and this is about mm-hmm. feelings. That's the only thing that I felt connected to for the longest. So when I found out mm-hmm. that I was adopted, I said, I want to make a song that's going to talk to the orphans and, the foster the kids and mm-hmm. the kids, who, mm-hmm. the kids lacking whatever, who feel like me. There's probably a billion of them. I want to make a song like the Angels song so it could do for what it did for me for them. Then I got a great idea. I said, yo, I'm going to make it with that lady. So I actually mm-hmm. called Sarah McLaughlin up. We went and we made this song called Just Like Me. And the reason why I say just like me, I don't care if you're the billionaire, I don't care if you're the peasant, I don't care if the UPS driver, teacher, doctor, we all are the same. Mm-hmm. And
1: regardless mm-hmm. of
2: our differences, we all go through the same ups and downs, happy, sad, whatever, whatever. So I said, I want to make a record that makes somebody in the darkest night of their despair bring a light and a smile to their mm-hmm. face. But here's what's crazy. So I go make this record with Sarah McLaughlin, right? I tell her. The name of your song is Angel. You sound like an angel, but you're not an angel to me. You are God. I listen to your song every day. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm saying like people pray and worship. I said, that song is the thing that makes me able to get up and walk out the door every year. We go make the record. And then um, at the end of the recording session, and she never told me this. She says, Dara, before you go, there's something I need to tell you. And I go, what? I was adopted too.
3: And oh, I did wow. not wow.
2: know that you wow. had that
3: connection.
2: Yeah, right? that's so, and that, so deep.
3: And that's also one of the things. I feel very connected to you because of it. Not only because of connection, uh, of the adoption. Of course, I've known you, I've known ever, you all your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right, all yeah. my life, of course, in my own head. I'm like, of course. But when I found out that you were adopted, it's just
2: like. It goes deeper, right.
3: Goes deeper. And yeah. it's very hard to explain to people that are not adopted. Exactly, yep. Yeah. And people come up to me wherever I am, it's like, hey man, I'm
2: adopted. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they do that. Yep.
3: Beautiful. And I was like, and Thank some you people go, God.
2: I've Ooh. never told anybody this. Yes. Another thing, wow. it's like it's our wow. secret. You know and D, I,
3: I think for us, it was, so, for my family, it was almost easier because my parents were white. So it was never that.
2: Right, old right, right, old, right.
3: About the could be our kids. Right. So, so the cat mm-hmm. was out of the bag.
2: When I was growing up, everything happened at my house. Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, birthday parties, 4th of July, whatever, graduate, everything was always at the McDaniels family house. Yeah. All my cousins who were younger than me, C.O.D., we've been to your house our whole lives. Every time we was on our way to your house, your aunts and uncles would sit sit us down and say, kids, we're going over to McDaniels house, what's the rule? And the little kids would go, nobody let Darrell know he's adopted. <laughs> oh, so everybody <laughs> knew, oh. Yes, man! Oh. Oh, man. My whole family, listen, I went to Catholic school. Father Rudloff, the nuns, the, the Father Rudloff knew, the, the, the gym teacher knew, my, my pediatrician knew. knew, everybody was, the thing was, don't let him know, because he's doing so good. How funny is that? Everybody oh always laughed. But I mean,
4: so this really must have been the missing piece in your, you know, in your identity. But... When you first found out about it, you said it it drove you even further in the darkness. When did you feel like it landed and you started to become whole and who you are today? Just like
2: Marcus said, when I started to do the search for my birth mother, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: when when I found her, I actually used a private eye to go Mm -hmm. help me find my birth, but the private eye lady too, she can relate because she was adopted and she started a private eye agency specifically for adoptees okay. who yeah. want to find their birth mother. So that's wow. a specialty. So like I said, she found my birth mother in Staten Island. And I remember the day, me, my wife, and my son, we going up to our house on that Thanksgiving. And when I knocked on the door, prior to that, it didn't seem real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just not me and I'm doing, you know, even though it was like, I found her. She lives in Staten Island. She was good. It was like, your mama drops a silver Honda Accord. Like, she knew stuff. I was like, whoa, this is scary. You can find anybody like in the movies. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't until I knocked on that door and that door opened up and I saw somebody who said they were related to me that looked exactly like
1: it. There you go. Wow.
2: wow. So that's, imagine when that door opened up the void that was here, it mm-hmm. came from my birth, felt and turned and locked in place.
4: Boom, that was it.
2: Now, you know, the mystery is solved, but I still yeah. got all these oh, emotions. That, that, even made that, that, that even made me worship, like appreciate therapy. Because I just, mm-hmm. you had to go just talk about how that make you feel. What are you thinking about that? I had to go through that. So that I, was the thing.
3: Can I ask you, because I had to ask when my sister, my oldest sister also adopted with me, one day she just dropped it on me. She's like, I think we can find our birth father. Right. And I was like, wait a minute, we can't do
2: that. Have no, you che- right.
3: We have, have you checked You're- with
2: mom. Right.
3: And, um, and my, Linda, my older sister, said, no, we're going. We got to find out who our father. Wow. And my mom was like, of course. Right. And not until my mom gave a sort of like, right, right, right. <clears throat> I felt, because I didn't want to do this on the sly, you know Exactly,
2: I mean? right. You didn't want to, you, you want to remove guilt and shame, yep. you don't want to cause trouble. So it's funny that you said that, after my mother father told me that on the phone, a few days later, they had, like they told me that, it was like two days went by. So I guess they probably was worried about me. So they called back, Um, oh, hi Daryl. Are you okay? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they probably thought I was mad at them because I didn't call. I'm yeah, just, of course. Yeah, all I did was sit there for two days like this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It wasn't like I got mad or nothing like that. Hmm. So they called back two days, and it was, "Are you okay?" I'm, no, mom, I'm cool. And it was like, and my father said this if you would like us to help you find your birth parents, wow. so that's okay.
4: And you still call your adopted parents mom and dad?
2: Yeah, mom, mom and dad, mom yeah. and dad. Oh, yeah. For, yeah. Sure, yeah. for sure, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and yeah. it took me, what? It took me four years, seven years, to get the courage to go actually find my birth mother. I didn't get the courage until I met other adoptees. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. If the first thing was, yo D, don't you wanna know who your, nope. Don't want to know, you heard the record, son of Biford, brother yeah. of Al, that's it. So, you know, yeah, from man. 97 and 2000 and all of that, um, it, it took from it took three years for me to get the courage, but I needed to 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 uh, meet other adoptees. You know what I'm saying? Because prior to that, sure. I was the only one adopted in my circle, right? And the mm-hmm. thing that made me do the search, that really gave me um, the courage to do it, a famous adoptee, I'm not talking about celebrity famous. Yeah, yeah. We call it a famous adoptee because she said this to me. I'm, every year, nope, I'm not doing the search, fight and the bandage. it's all I need to know. I know I'm adopted, I don't want to know nothing else. And it mm-hmm. took three years. But a famous adoptee, she said this. She said, the reason why an adopted person should, it's up to you if you want to do it. Mm-hmm. it and force you, I can't say it's religiously or legal necessary." When she said this, and this blew my mind. It kind of got me mad because it forced me to do it. She said the reason why an adoptee should um search for their birth parents, besides medical reason, is you never start a book from chapter two.
1: Yeah,
2: I was living my life up from chapter two of my story. When Down with the King came out in 93, I was about to do all of this I just did on a bigger level. I had to be completely, I had to have an idea of who I am completely. So that was the thing that says, regardless of what I find, oh, maybe my mother left me in a phone booth. Maybe she put me on the steps at the convent, Maybe there's a horror story with my mother and father. Whatever it is that I would find, I have to realize whatever it is, tragic, unfortunate, great, it's my story.
4: I grew up, I went to an all-white school. You know, my dad's African-American, my mom's white American. Um, I felt very alone because there were no kids of color at my school. So nobody was like me. So I, I go through all the trying to mask and, and uh, put on a mask and trying to act like you cut my hair a certain way or cut it all off, address dress a certain way to try to just camouflage myself. But just knowing that there's one, just like you're saying, one other person that feels like you feel or understands you. Just knowing that you're not alone. I think that's something that's such a deep human need that we all need, like whatever we're going through.
2: The the, the birth parent thing is just the method of getting us here. Mm -hmm. Mm. I always tell kids when I speak to kids, your situation doesn't define who you are. You don't know Mm. this young man or young girl. There's people put on this earth. To help get you where you're supposed to go.
4: It says it all that you still call your adopted parents mom and dad because they were your mother and father, and so do you, Marcus. Yeah,
2: you know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. And my what? birth mother, birth said, "Just call me the other mother." <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing,
3: one thing yeah. that is interesting, both all three of us, we work in fields that yep. has killed a lot of our friends, right? Through alcohol and drugs, for example. Yeah, but it mm-hmm. comes back to mm-hmm. adoption. Yeah, and I got on. And started just like when, you know, very early, 23, 24, and alcohol was everywhere. And I started yeah. to use my friends in alcoholism. This is like 26, 27-year-old guy. Yeah, yeah. And so at 24, I remember I said to my sister, we uh-huh. got to cut liquor. Because we don't know if our parents in Ethiopia at that point, if they were alcoholics, we don't know what type of thing. Right, yes. So at that hmm. point, I actually cut liquor. You know, I still drink wine and beer to this day. But... Right, based on like you know your lineage, Daryl yeah. and I didn't at to that sort right.
1: point.
4: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a rapper in Sweden, Daryl, and I rap in Swedish. I call myself Timbuktu. I've been doing it since you know I started rapping in '89. Christmas Eve, 1989. My neighbor asked me what she asked me before Christmas. She said, "What album do you want this Christmas?" I said, I "Either I really want the Paula Abdul album, but." If they don't have that, i go for the De La so- I heard this new group called De La Soul. And Christmas Eve, she hit me with it, because in Sweden we open our gifts on Christmas Eve. She comes by, knocks on the door, and is like, you know, I'm sorry, the pa- Paula Abdul album is sold out. It's apparently just this hit, giant record, so here's your De La Soul album. And I listened to that. I mean, I lived on listening to just that album for like six months. I knew like all the lyrics by heart. I didn't understand what De La Soul was saying. And I mean, even before that, I had been listening to, you know, to Run DMC, to Jungle Brothers, to uh, Eric B and Rakim, LL Cool J. But when I got that De La album, I fell so in love with it. I decided that I wanted to start writing rhymes myself. Fast forward to the 2000s when I, when, you know, my career really started picking up and I started going on tour. And same thing is like, I'm sure in, in the chef field and, and how it was for you as a world-renowned, world-famous hip-hop artist. Like alcohol is flowing freely, you know, alcohol and and weed and and other substances, coke and everything is flowing freely. I would drink after shows as a way of like landing, relaxing. And I was always kind of a shy kid, so for me it also. Uh, became kind of like a social, social lubricant. And that went on for a few years. And I, I'll admit that it, it was too much at times. Of course. You, you know.
2: I, I remember Thank 19, you. speaking of 89, 1988, we was, um, we was on tour, it was Run DMC, EPMD, <clears throat> Public Enemy. Wow. Of um, um, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince and oh, Eric B and Rakim, all together on the tour. We were standing on the side of the stage and Chuck D, of Public Enemy. Yes, I think he was like, he was 20 something, he was young. He was like 21 or 22. And we were standing there, I remember we had 40s and everybody had weed and stuff like that. A couple of people had coke and everything. And the discussion came up, it was very powerful. The discussion came up. We we always watching Rock Him on stage. We was just a now. Imagine we I'm dope. Run DMC yeah, yeah, yeah. DT, <laughs> Will Smith, yeah, DJ yeah. Jeff. We yeah, watched yeah. Rock level. Him and we like We're level. Oh, right. we like, oh my yeah. God, just like we don't do this and stuff like that. And the discussion came up, two things Chuck said. Um, um the discussion came up, yo, we touring that right now and we getting money and we making videos and this and we got tour buses and the discussion came up, what's the most powerful thing about this hip-hop thing? And everybody, yo, you know, we get money, this, is that. And then Chuck D said, nah, power communication. He says, there's always a mic in front of us. We're on records now. We making movies now. We get these big deals. We have a responsibility to inform, and and to inform people is information. That information is education. Education just ain't in those books. It's like, yo, wow. And then the discussion came up about how good Rakim is, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody knew Rakim, you know what I'm saying? He must have, he, he, he yeah. ain't indulging in substances. So we all over here with our 40s and stuff like that. And it was just funny. The thing came up about getting high and drinking and all that. And Chuck D at 22 years old goes, and he said it with that voice. Yeah. He said, name. I never got high a day in my life. I'm a man, God damn it. This is how naive I was. I went back to my room, and I'm sitting there, and it, this is stupid, I go, man, Chuck never got high a day in his life. How the hell does he rhyme so good? Because <laughs> I thought <told, laughs> I, I you I had to get high, Drake, you know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah. The whole perception yeah. is that, you know, it's a hood thing, you got to get high, you got... Yeah. But when Chuck said that, he, he's 22 years old, young man, he said, I never got high a day in my life because I'm a man, goddammit, and I never yeah. got there. Wow. So it, it's those Higher things that... years, man. Exactly, right, exactly. But yeah. well, that's, that's the thing that I wanted to add. Collectively, as a culture, our culture is we're creators.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what I'm
2: saying? Yeah what Marcus do, what mm-hmm. I do, yeah. what the what the cameraman does, what the sculptor does, yes. what the painter does, what the dancer does, it's all the same expression. And it goes mm-hmm. deep into where people always wonder why, you know, guys like the Beastie Boys and Eminem, why why are we such an artistic creative people to impact and change? Our development and our presentations always brings elevation to others.
1: Wow. So
2: when Chuck had said that. It's basically, if we communicate more, there will never be a generation gap. And Mm -hmm. a kid looking at me, oh wow, this is DMC, of Run DMC, my mother and father loves him because of walk this way and it's tricky, but now he's doing a comic book. I could connect Mm -hmm. with that young man that way. So the same way I could communicate with the the, the form, with, with the presentation of who we are, whether it's through doing something dynamic or whether it's doing for something as simple as taking a spray can and writing on the wall or doing something mm-hmm. phenomenal like spinning on a head. We are all expressions of a power that, you know, Africa, Bambaataa said it right, you know, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. Okay, we got all of it, but how do we use that? The Beastie Boys mm-hmm. works a successful white rap group because we talked to them. Be who you are. They wasn't white rappers acting black. No, no, no. Black. They no, wasn't white no. rappers acting black. They said, well, we could be a white punk rock group that make records our way. Eminem, I can't mm. even move my mouth as fast as him. But yeah. once we mm. look at that power, the same thing that we are able to do artistically and transform ourselves is the same thing we must choose to, to If I make myself better, I make my household better. Then yeah. my neighborhood mm-hmm. becomes better. Then my city becomes, we put Hollis Queens on the map
3: yeah, you did. Yeah, you sure did. You side. sure did. So
2: that's a perfect example when I understand what which Chuck, he tuned into that at a very young age. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm. So it doesn't never go away. What I'm trying to say is what we're doing, Marcus, it, does, it doesn't never go away. It only gets better and greater. And that's the beauty of us being able to share our stories. We all have a story. Yeah that'll save a
4: life. Thank you for sharing your story, Daryl. You're a living legend and you're still standing strong, man. Thank you and I can't you're truly inspirational.
2: Thank you. And I couldn't wait for this moment. Thank you so much. <laughs> 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 you got it. Thank, peace. Peace out, Thanks, peace. Thanks so keep much, doing, man. Keep doing what y'all do, man. We all in this together.
4: Hell yeah, one love. <laughs> This moment is produced by Mohammed El Abed. It's an ACAST recording and can be heard on all platforms. So stay tuned. More depth coming your way soon.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.